0: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Dishing With Digest. I'm Stephanie Sloan, Editorial Director. Here with Mara Levinsky, Senior Editor. Hi, everyone. Well, Mara, we've been talking about it for weeks, and now it has finally dropped and aired. And let me just say, Beyond Salem, Chapter 2 was amazing. There are so many great things to talk about, I don't even know where to start. First of all, seeing Christian Alfonso back as Hope and Peter Reckl back as Beau was a total treat for longtime fans like myself. They did not miss a beat and fell right back into their familiar dynamic. I love how Sierra got the opportunity to, like, ream out Hope for not being around for the last couple of years. I thought it was great how they used Steve Burton as this Jason Bourne-type guy, Harris, who was mixed up with Hope. Drake Hogeston's John embracing the vibe of the Pride Party was excellent. The introductions of Abigail Klein as Stephanie, Tanner Stein as Joey, Victoria Grace as Wendy, and Colton Little as Andrew were all hits. Resurrecting Megan Hathaway was inspired. I mean, I could go on. Well, I don't know about you, but John Black living his best life at that pride party was something I never thought I'd see and now realize how desperately I needed in my life. (laughs) Uh, It was uh, at the end of the day, just so entertaining. And even uh, the special touches of like the Bo Hope flashbacks in the opening and Peter and Christian doing the sands of the hourglass intro, like honestly gave me chills. Uh, It was such a love letter. their diehards and that is what i think soaps should be i think they should be love letters to longtime fans i think they should focus on the vets focus on established favorites and keep the focus on romance and fun and adventure and this series just checked All of those boxes. You know, when I watch a show that's not at its creative peak, shall we say, I often ask myself, who is this being written for? And you and I uh, have this conversation many times, right, that when a story or a coupling just does not seem designed to speak to longtime fans, fans who are steeped in the history of a show and want to see that history treated with reverence, even in a contemporary context, like it's a sign that something's gone wrong. And so I really applaud the effort made here to celebrate and draw upon the rich history of days because it absolutely paid off. Um, I could not agree more. You know, we have to be realistic about who is watching soaps today. I'm not saying there aren't new viewers, but for the most part, it's people who have watched for a long time. And they want to see the characters they love, plain and simple. That doesn't mean that new faces can't be mixed in with the familiar ones because, you know, that's how you build upon a foundation. But it's critical to keep the actors fans care about and are invested in around to make us care about the new ones. Case in point, Lee Shin was introduced on days after hearing about his father for so long, but was put into Demara family scenes and then ultimately paired with Gabby, and then his sister was introduced. So we know the Damaras, and we know Gabby, so hi, Lee, let us get to know you too. That's my philosophy. I think that's spot on. You know, I think some of the character introductions that have been the most successful in recent years bear that out. You know, for example, I think GH fans were excited to meet Portia because they already cared so deeply about her daughter, Trina, and there was a goodwill there because the audience wanted to know more about Trina. I think the audience uh, of Y&R uh, cared very quickly about Allie because she was introduced as an abbot. Now, as you just said, viewers want to see the characters they love, and on that note, I'm so happy to report that Lexi Ainsworth, who has been so sorely missed on GH as Christina, is back filming at the show, uh, and we will see her on screen In the next month or so, but one of the show's most beloved figures, Laura, will be off camera beginning soon as Jeannie Francis takes a summer break, Uh, but she will be back and I am confident that when she does return, she will be thrust right back into major story which is where GH fans want to see her. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, we've seen a lot of cast changes on days, and there's a lot of story popping, not to mention Beyond Salem. So who better to have as our guest today than the man responsible for pulling it all together? It's Emmy-winning head writer Ron Carlabatti. So let's check in with him and get all the scoop about Salem and beyond. Hi, Ron. Hi. How are you doing?
1: I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm good, thanks. Well, thanks so much for being with us today. I mean, so much has happened since the last time we had you on the podcast. So, first things first, congratulations on your recent Emmy win for outstanding writing. Um, tell us how you felt going into the big night. You were double nominated for both days and Beyond Sale.
1: Yeah, um... So you would think being double nominated makes you feel confident, (laughs) but everyone kept saying you have a 50, 50 chance of winning. And I kept saying, well, I have a 50, 50 chance of losing. (laughs) So (laughs) it's just one of those things I've been to this rodeo many times. And yes, it's a huge thrill when you win, but like, you know, more often than not, you end up a little disappointed. So, you know, you try to manage those expectations going in. So then, and I also would, for some reason, like woke up that day, like very nervous about the whole thing. So I, I wrote down two little separate speeches, one for beyond Salem and one for days and had it on my phone. Cause I was like, I know my mind is just going to go blank. If we do win, at least I'll be able to turn to the phone and read it. So I'm like nervous now, like remembering, it. Um. So, um <laughs> but anyway, you know, I was sitting at right in the front with Ken Albert and Suzanne Rogers and, you know, so many categories had gone by already and we had not won anything (laughs) and general hospital was winning a lot. So especially I started thinking like, okay, we're not going to (laughs) win. And so trying to kind of come to terms with you're not going to win. And then all of a sudden when Ted King said, when he opened it, this guy wrote for me before something, I was like, Holy S he's talking about me. (laughs) So, you know, all of a sudden you're just like an autopilot, you get up there. And, and, um, I think anybody could tell that I was nervous. Like I haven't even watched it back, but I, could, I knew my voice was shaking. Um, but for, I don't know why, because I'm there, you're there with friends, you're looking out you see your, you know, you see everybody, you know, I think maybe knowing it was on CBS and it was like live on TV. Like, but I'm always amazed from, from, from the actors to, you know, the producer of some game show, like they're up there. So calm and poised. It's like, I'm like shaking like a leaf, but, um, (laughs) it was super exciting to win. It was, you know, it was so Uh gratifying. I was happy because one of the episodes that we submitted that we won for was written by Betsy Snyder, who was our teammate who passed away. And so I was like very happy that her work was like recognized, I would have been really excited for beyond Salem to win something, but, but just the fact that beyond Salem was nominated for four Emmys was a huge deal. And, you know, um, Kelly Campbell from Peacock came to the show to support us. Like it really was like very, very exciting and really
0: great. That's awesome. So it was, you know, the first in-person Emmys in quite a bit of time. So tell us what it was like for you to be in person again. Who did you get to see from all the, all the colleagues you, you've had over your career,
1: you know, you know, obviously my own, like I got out of the car, the, Uber and there was Greg Vaughn and Ari Zucker and, you know, everybody's like, you know, looking gorgeous. And, you know, and then I walked inside, I see Laura Wright. Um, that was one of the first people I saw and like, you know, just to see like a friendly face that you haven't seen in a really long time. And everyone's all decked out, um, you know, like Finola and just like all these people whose faces at like Kelly Monaco, like just people I haven't seen in a long time. Like, you know, Brittany Sarpe came up to me and like, know congratulate afterward congratulated me and sort of said you know you gave me my start and all this stuff like just like just very gratifying you know um and then to people like that i don't know like i just walked up to cameron matheson and was like i used to see you on the upper west side when you were on all my children (laughs) and i would see you walking around the neighborhood um it was you know you felt kind of normal to be Out and doing the red carpet and talking to everybody, and you weren't like hiding at home with a mask on. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
0: Well, we talked about this during the Emmys and about your win, but. You were not nominated last year and now you come back with two nominations and win. Is there a gratifying element to that? Because I think it's bananas that you were not on the list last year.
1: I mean, look, on one hand, you're like, okay with four shows left. It started to become once there were four shows left when it got to directing, writing and show that all four were nominated sort of automatically. And that's good and bad it's great for the participation of all the shows the bad part is that when people are like well aren't you on honor that you're nominated you're like well not i feel like it was like a given that we would be nominated so it wasn't as much of an honor when it was sort of an automatic thing so maybe you could argue if if they don't automatically nominate you then it means that does mean something that they do really judge the work that said I submitted the same stuff that I submitted for the writer's guild and we won the writer's guild. So you're telling me that it was good enough to win the writer's guild award, but not even good enough to be nominated like mm-hmm. that. Something was fishy there. I thought no offense to Natus or however the heck that, happened. um, not saying it should win but to say that that didn't deserve to be nominated and to be excluded like that was kind of bogus um Mm -hmm. yes then to come back with two nominations and win was again it's not that i'm vindicated it was just it was gratifying
0: so ron i don't know if you were aware of this but beyond salem chapter two just premiered this week on peacock and it is amazing there is so much that we want to know about it starting with when you found out that there would be a season two, but for anyone listening who hasn't watched the whole thing, please consider yourself warned. There will be spoilers ahead.
1: I know right after when the first one dropped, people are asking, you know, is there going to be another one? Is there going to be another one? And I, you know, was sort of not allowed to say anything, but I will, I can say that Peacock did come to us the the very end of the week that the first five dropped and wanted more, um, which was great. And they came to us and they wanted five more by Christmas and just because of where we were in our production schedule, you know, we talked about it with Ken and Albert and he says, I just don't see how we're going to write and produce five more by Christmas and get the regular show done at the same time. So at first he said no. And then said, look, I they're giving us this amazing opportunity and I don't want to say no to them. So Albert called them back and said, what if we did like a one episode sort of a Christmas special or something? We could probably manage that and get that done in your time frame in this calendar year. And, you know, postpone the other five until like the spring or something like that. So they said yes. And then we got to write that Christmas movie, which was really fun. The sort of Hallmark takeoff. And, and, and then, so after that, it was just kind of waiting for them to come back around to, we knew that they had an interest in another five. And so that came up a few months ago, Albert and Ken called and said, well, they, you know, they want the next five. And again, it was, you know, pitch them something. So really what was that going to be? And, um, we had just had Peter on the show for, as an angel, when Sierra had the baby and Albert had said, you know, could we give Peter, he's like coming all the way from Alaska to do this. Could we do give him a little more? And I was like, well, he has to come in, see his, see his daughter, see his grandson, tap Trip on the forehead, wake <laughs> him up. And I was like, I thought it would water it down to see, to see Angel Bo just floating around Salem after that. So I said, well, what if we put him in the next Beyond Salem instead? And Albert was like, I love this idea. And then we said, well, of course, it's not a complete story if without hope. So whatever that story is, we didn't even know what it would be. I said, okay, if we're gonna center this around Bo, it's gotta be Bo and Hope. And um Ken and Albert agreed. So we Ken called Christian to see if she would be interested. And she wanted to kind of know the story. So then I kept came up with the story and with Ryan. And we pitched it to Christian. I spoke to Christian on the phone. She really liked the idea. And then it was just a matter of like making it work and then building around. But we really built the whole thing around Bo and Hope. Um which was amazing that we got to have them both because Christian was no longer on the show. And Bo was like, uh, Peter was like living in New Zealand. So it just seemed like this was never going to happen. Mm-hmm. And now the fact that they're on this is kind of amazing. And I'm just glad that people seem to be excited about it.
0: Oh yeah. It was amazing. Um, now Bo and Hope together, were not a couple since you've been there. So what was it like? How did you approach then figuring out a story for this couple that maybe you weren't yeah. as familiar with? so
1: originally because you know the show is called beyond salem we go to all these cities and you know um i thought like oh we're gonna go to some south american prison and pan to the corner of the cell and like there's beau you know and but then i was like well wait a minute in may you saw him as an angel dead like how's that gonna work and then you couldn't even say oh sierra dreamed it because ben was there for the whole thing <laughs> um So kind of went back to the idea of like, all right, we have to own this. So starting with the presence of like, starting with the premise, like he's dead, he's in heaven, he's an angel. Um, and I love the movie heaven can wait. So I was sort of in a little bit of that, you know, coming up with the idea of, well, he's going to need to talk to who's his guardian angel that sort of led to Loretta divine, which like, I'm so excited about. I think they have great like chemistry with each other. Uh-huh. You know, I think she just brings, she just like elevates the whole thing because she's just, you know, an actress of this caliber and Marnie, our casting director came to us with like options for Angela. And I looked down the list and then when I saw Loretta divine, I'm like, it can only be her. <laughs> I can now only see Angela. It's bad when you were like that, you know, like, uh-huh. then it was like, in my mind, it was perfect. And then I'm like, well, if we can't make a deal with her, then, you know, it's it. what then what? Um, so luckily that worked out and I don't have to imagine some other Angela because we got Loretta. <laughs> mm hmm. Oh, so anyway, starting with this whole premise that he's in heaven and then building her story, you know, around that. So, like, and of course, the audience wants to see Bo and Hope together. And so we had to really think, like, well, if he's in heaven and she's on Earth. Like, how are we going to do that? And so now by the time this people watch this right They'll they'll hear listen to this they'll know how we did it so at the end of episode three hope dies and goes to heaven and has this like beautiful reunion with with peter which like right now while we're recording this that hasn't dropped yet we've only done three so i'm really dying for people to react because this is the thing they've been waiting for Mm -hmm. is Bo and hope together you know and we you know, we wanted them to dance and we had all these different concepts. Like we were trying to get Kelly Clarkson and she was going to sing a song that would, that they would dance to. And then that didn't really pan out. So, you know, we kind of went to Ken and said, it has to be tonight I celebrate my love for you. Like that's what the audience wants. And yes, this song is going to cost money. And Ken to his credit said, absolutely worth spending the money on that song so um you know we got to have their love theme and they dance to it and have their whole little reunion and then um so i was just like very lucky to be able to write i mean given that he was off the show and dead i didn't think i would ever be writing bow and hope scenes together
0: was, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and you're welcome roberta flack and Peebo bryson
1: <laughs> exactly and Peebo bryson who also sang the one life to live the theme mm-hmm. <laughs>
0: Which I almost just launched into, but you're welcome, listeners, that I did not. That you did not?
1: <laughs> Here's what um, you do. Oh. Uh,
0: okay. Don't sing
1: more. Don't do it. Okay. Because so, uh, so, you and I could do a duet right now. Oh, yeah.
0: And you know what? We probably will uh, once yeah, we stop recording. Yeah. We'll edit it out. Um, we'll fix it in post. <laughs> um,
1: Okay, so obviously
0: uh, bow and Hope were the foundational concept and premise here. Yes. But then obviously you need to build out further. So talk us through, um, you know, to the best of your recollection, yes. where you started going from there.
1: We sort of started thinking about, because it was beyond Salem, like these different cities. And so um, we Sierra and Ben had just left Salem on a sailboat. And we're like, well, <laughs> where realistically could they sail to, you know, in the in a week or a couple of days or whatever it was. So we came up with Montreal through some crazy route up to St. Lawrence river, whatever it was
0: from Salem, USA. Does exactly. it matter?
1: Exactly. So it was like, we looked from Chicago. You could technically then get all to Montreal. Mm-hmm. So we settled on Montreal for hope. Then we thought about, well, what other cities do we have in our arsenal? And by coincidence with what was airing, we just to keep the numbers down at the wedding, had Marlena say that John was visiting Paul in San Francisco. So we didn't just have to have John sitting at Sammy's wedding. So we're like, oh, how about using, how about we see that John and Paul in San Francisco? Okay, that's great. Okay, where else? We knew we really wanted to use Steve and Kayla because we hadn't used them in the previous one. And then we thought, well, Trip just moved to Seattle to be with Stephanie and Joey. That would be a great thing to do. So then that's how Seattle came about. So we had Seattle, San Francisco, Montreal, and then started to envision these kidnappings happening. And then that's how then the Harris character started to tie that all together, you know. And then we added Monte Carlo with Kristen. We added uh, Caracas with Megan Hathaway, um, Hong Kong with the Damaras, with Gabby and Shin, and all that stuff because we wanted, you know, a another element that was like we wanted to bring in people who hadn't been in the first one. So we thought about, you know, some DeMera element because obviously with Megan Hathaway being a DeMera that kind of led us to playing Gabby and Shin. Then we decided to introduce Wendy who's Shin's daughter because we felt like the boys need like some love interest to play against. So we introduced Wendy to kind of be between Joey and, um, trip. Um, and then Andrew Donovan for Paul, Which was also, I've heard people ask about Andrew Donovan in the past, and we thought, like, you know, what if he's like a gay James Bond? Um, (laughs) So, and but you need that story that ties it together; otherwise, it feels disparate. Like, why we're over here with one story in Seattle, and with this, you know, so then that's why you need jewels and prisms, and, and like you need some story that ties it together. And then we knew we needed a villain, like a henchman, and then. The Steve Burton thing kind of came about and I thought like, oh, he'll be perfect for this, you know, and then also that he was going to be Hope's love interest, which we were trying to sort of keep under wraps. Um,
0: Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, there's a lot of like moving parts here. So first of all, I assume you have to look at what's happening on the mothership. And then does it jibe with what you're about to write for beyond Salem? But plus you kind of need these actors to say, yes, just sort of fit all the pieces. So what, yeah. what is that process like making sure it all works together?
1: Yeah. Like, cause once you sort of decide, okay, this is going to be about the prisms or whatever you want, Megan Hathaway. It's like, I don't know if Miranda Wilson is available and wants to even do this. And I didn't even know if she was still acting. I was like thrilled to see she was still acting. She looks amazing. Like mm-hmm. the, you know, but she had to come from England. Um, you know, when those things start to fall into place, like it's so, it's so gratifying. It's like, mm-hmm. yes, we just signed Christian. Yes. Peter's going to do it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Miranda Wilson said yes. Yes. Loretta divine said yes. You know, you get, you realize like, Oh, we might actually be able to do that. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. um, the stuff with Larry Welch, like, We had Bo, we had a couple different ideas of Bo being judged by, we were going to do a panel of celebrities like the voice with the chairs turning around. And then they, they, um, we were going to do real housewives. We were, we had all these ideas and, um, that's how the Kelly Clarkson thing kind of came about. And then we were like, why we're telling the story that's all geared to the past. And then we were, somebody said, what about Larry Welch? I think Albert actually said, I'll tell a funny story about Albert. Albert goes, too bad you can't use Larry Welch because he's dead. And I was like, the actor isn't dead. <laughs> like, right. That's cute. And he was like, he's not? And I'm like, no, he's alive. So... <laughs> it kind of is okay that the actor's dead because we're in, we're in purgatory. So it became more fun because we were like, well, what if Larry Welch is the judge? Because it's a huge obstacle for Bo. Like this guy's never going to give him the go ahead because he hates, him. you know? So that was fun. And being able to get the actor. I know I was out there when they were shooting the show and um, I was talking to Peter Reckle, who I'd never met before. And he was staying in the same hotel as me in Burbank near the studio. And he would ride a bike from the hotel to the studio. And I saw him in the parking lot getting on his bike. And he said, Yeah, I'm going back to run lines tonight with because the actor playing Larry Welch was also staying in the hotel. So he's like, Oh, I'm going to hang out with him tonight. We're going to run our lines together.
0: Andy Massay.
1: Andy Massay, the wonderful Andy Massay who killed it as Larry Welch.
0: Yeah were there people on the wish list that didn't work out and you had to make some pivots or did you get everything?
1: Yeah, there was a couple things. There was, um, we wanted the original Stephanie to make a cameo in it. Um, Shelly Henning. And the concept was we, we knew we were, we were already casting a new Stephanie for the mothership. Um, and in fact it already been, writing her she will um and then we thought oh i had this fun idea that we when we see the johnson family reunion at the beginning in episode one we would play it as shelly and then pizza guy blows up the place and she's taken to the hospital and she was going to be in kind of worse shape surgery bandages all over her face you don't see her for five episodes at the end they take off the bandages. It was going to be Abigail Klein. And she's like, well, I guess this will have to do, you know, <laughs> it's like a whole new Stephanie. And that was sort of explaining her new look, blah, blah, blah. So Shelly was filming this teen wolf movie and couldn't do it. So we just made her less injured and we, but we kind of kept the story the same way, but we introduced it to Abigail at the beginning um, in the first episode and then just didn't put her through the trauma of the bandages and the whole whole thing. So that would have been a cute little thing that we could have done. Um, there was this thing with Kelly Clarkson that didn't really, we didn't really do. Um, but mostly I gotta say the rest of it kind of fell into place really well. Oh, and then Eileen, <laughs> we really wanted to use the, you know, the Peacock loved that. We did that real housewives, little tie in the last time with Lisa Rinna and with Eileen and Eileen is just so great. And we were like, we want to use her again on this, even though Stacy's our Kristen on the Mothership. Um, but we we'd already written the show at this point, And we knew that Kristen had just turned herself in and showed up to Lonnie and all of that. And I'm like, well, Kristen's in prison. How is she going to show up on beyond Salem? And, and then, you know, thinking, thinking, thinking. And I was like, what if it's not really Kristen, but you think it's Kristen. And that's how we came up with this Thomas thing, which was one of my favorite things about the whole <laughs> thing. Was this reveal like where you know Kristen goes takes the guy up to her hotel room and then it turns out to be Thomas Banks and he kills him? And um, so we had this concept. Then I can't remember if it was me or someone else that kind of threw out like, well, what if we use I we knew we needed this businessman guy who had the prism that she's gonna kill, and then we're like, we could stun cast it, get a celebrity, whatever, and then I it was me or someone else said, what about Eileen's husband? What, you know, what about Vincent? And so we asked her and he said yes. And, and it was fun to see them get to play against each other. Although she told me that like, he will not, he doesn't like to see her as Thomas (laughs) or even as Susan, it's like, I don't know, like a turnoff to him or something. So, so it was like, he. Did, I don't think she's like, he's never seen me as Thomas. I think she told me. And so he did not want to think, he did not want to see it. Um, but she's so amazing. And she commits and, and, you know, it's a real collaboration. Like she talks about, well, what, what garment could I have underneath that makes sense, you know? And then the hairy chest what is that she really wanted to do and she even told us that the little panel that they got, like when they put it on, didn't look good. And they just flipped. They ended up turning it upside down and it looked better. So that's like an <laughs> upside down chest hair thing. Um, I'm sure it was her idea that there was like something down the pants, you know, <laughs> Um yeah. Oh, she even said, I think when all the stuff hits the floor, there was a little, um, even a little nose um, piece that like, you know, she just thinks through these things. Like I'm usually like, oh, we'll just fudge all that. Like (laughs) she really thinks through like, well, how realistically could that be him under those clothes, you know? And obviously you can't do it hundred percent, but she gives like, you know, she gives hundred percent like every, mm-hmm. every time. So that, that reveal helps. of Thomas is amazing. And then of course the, like, we, you guys haven't seen it yet, but when Mary Moira stops him from killing hope, when, the, when you get the second chance, you know, is also hilarious. And they had to actually what's great, you know, obviously she has to have a stand in because there's two, you know, two Eileen's in the same scene. So she has the same stand in she's been using for years. So, when I was out there, when they were shooting beyond Salem, I wanted to say hello to Eileen. So they were like, Oh, well, let me take you to the dressing room. So somebody knocks on the door, pretty blonde woman opens the door. And I assume like it's Eileen because it's her dressing room. So, but like in a split second, I see this pretty blonde and then sitting on the couch is this weird man. (laughs) And I'm like, wait so that was eileen sort of half dressed as thomas and then the blonde that opened the door was the stand-in so but it was surreal because she didn't have the full teeth and the everything but just the hair and the nose and the thing and i'm like it looks like a guy like you would not know that that was eileen davidson
0: that's amazing yeah i think it's lisa williams and she's been her stand-in since the 90s like she's done it since then
1: She's great, and you Which can see incredible. why. And like, I honestly had to do a double take. Like, yeah. And then I was like, who's this weird man sitting in her dressing room? And I'm like, oh, that's Eileen. Um, <laughs> that's um, amazing. You know, but she's just, like, when we did it the first time and she did Sister Mary Moira, she, like, yeah. texted me, like, oh, I'm bringing my ruler.
0: You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> That's so great. She's committed. Um, completely committed. Okay, so talk to us about getting Steve Burton and, you know, resurrecting him or reprising the role of Harris, we should say, because this is someone, you know, Harris is not a role that he was necessarily known for, if you will, in right. daytime, obviously, because GH is Jason, but still, like, that is where he got his soap start.
1: Yeah. So, um, Albert told me that he, or he and Ken, I can't remember, or just him had had coffee with Steve Burton, just as like a general meaning. And, um, and then he said, well, what do you think? And I was like, well, he would be good for beyond Salem because we need, I'd already had the concept that hope had this love interest. And also we needed kind of a henchman that was doing a lot of the dirty work for Megan. And I was like, you know, we know he can play like the hitman, and the, um, So started to kind of think about that and had like a really good conversation with him about, about playing this. And um, then the concept of using Harris, it was almost like, look, His history as as Harris was not so important. It was just kind of a little bonus, little Easter egg that he played a guy on the show. Like we could have made him John Smith, but we were like, why not have him be Harris Michaels? The guy has a very limited history. Anything could have happened to him since you last saw him. It was kind of like I thought it would be fun. We never got really did it that in a file you saw some, you know, when Hope's looking at his file, there's like a still... Of him from when he was Harris Michael, but I don't <laughs> think I don't think we we ever I was did like,
0: it. I don't even know if that exists.
1: <laughs> I know, I know, some freeze frame of him on the show or something, but like, um, that was really cool, and um, you know, that was the tricky trying to play. It's a bow and hope love story. So how real can this couple be? Of hope and Harris, like he's kind of the spoiler. Um, so that was kind of fun to play because we played it that, you know, hope was onto this guy from the beginning. It was not, it was a game of cat and mouse. It was not a real relationship, but what we, you know, you obviously learn toward the end that he may be brainwashed just as John and Steve were. He has that great scene with hope in the interrogation room where he says, I, I don't feel like this is the real me, like these things that I did, you know, there's um, is it possible that something was done to me? So it leaves open the possibility that there's like more to Harris than just this, you know, sort of cold-blooded killer.
0: There are just so many surprises and Easter eggs that are such amazing callbacks to what so many fans consider to be the golden era of days. Um, there is not only, you know, the, the pop-ups of these characters that we've known and love, but the body connection uh the hot tub you know to talk to us about yeah. like who comes up with those and and how do you balance i guess uh packing in as many as you can but also keeping the story moving.
1: yeah i mean some of that just came up because of just like looking at like the history of megan because well, obviously megan wasn't really dead and then i was asking the writers well how did megan die and then we're talking about the hot tub and the body connection and so then we, you know, I love to have those kind of callbacks. So we just decided, okay, how about if Andrew and Paul have to go to this gym to look for clues? Cause I was like, how can we talk about a story about an electrified hot tub and not do it again? So, um, you know, we came up with the idea of like, Oh, well, is there some body connection? And then one of the writers tells me like, Oh, well, Chris Kosicek owned the body connection. And I'm like, Oh my God, we have to use Josh as Chris running this gym in California, you know? And we didn't make a big deal about it. We just put Chris K like on his, on his um, name tag. I mean, he does say his name, but, um,
0: and that you casually had him married to Savannah Wilder for the last 40 years. Like that was such, so satisfying for me. I will tell you that
1: came from like Ryan and Jamie. Cause I don't know his history as well. So then they just sort of, and then I think we checked back to see, they weren't necessarily, it hadn't been established that they ended up together. So I, we discussed it and said, well, is there any reason why they shouldn't have ended up together? And you know, they said no. So we, um, and Jamie wrote that ep- the outline for that episode. So, you know, he loves to, you know, he's a fan from way back. So he loves to use all that stuff. So he like, you know, he, he loved doing the callbacks to Savannah and, and, and all that. I mean, Jamie will keep he, he, the whole episode would have been that if I was like, I like okay, Jamie, we got to leave the body connection and like, you know, move on somewhere else. Um, well, I, I,
0: I could also watch an episode then of Jamie's where we're just looking at stuff from the 80s. and Yeah
1: um yeah so like no that was like super fun to do and you know but like look you write these things and then you realize what you're asked. like now you have to go rent a hot tub and they got to bring it in and like you know it's 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 easy for us to just go tippity tippity type and like they like <laughs> they have to go like get a hot tub it, you know
0: okay well now you have two of these under your belt plus the christmas movie um any chance for more in the future and do you have ideas for where you want to go next if there is one
1: yeah. Well, so as everyone now knows it ends on a cliffhanger that you see that beau that, that, that Megan Hathaway had Bo's body the entire time. And we tried to do a little misdirect that maybe she was trying to cure Stefano because that was her original plot that she needed these prisms to cure Stefano's brain tumor. That was another great thing when we were plotting the story because you know, Ryan was schooling me about what the prisms were for and that um, Megan was trying to cure Stefano's brain tumor. And I'm like, didn't Bo die of a brain tumor? And I was like, this is kind of perfect, you know? And because of course, even though we knew he was going to be in heaven, we wanted ultimately to kind of get him out of there, you know? So, you know, we knew from the beginning and we had this concept of the ending of the cryogenic thing and the eyes opening and that would be the end. Um, And so look, this one ends on a cliffhanger. The sort of no brainer beyond Salem chapter three would be the continuation of this story. Um, before we knew about this one, we had another concept of a, of a different beyond Salem that we kind of pitched not to the network, but to Albert and, um, maybe to the network actually, I think, but there's another concept of something else that we really like that we would maybe do someday And, but obviously the continuation of this story is another option. Um, like I said, like right now it's Wednesday, so only three have dropped. We have not, Peacock has, the phone hasn't rung yet to be (laughs) like, we want five more. Um, but I'm holding out hope that that could happen soon. So because that would be really fun. And, you know, it, unlike the first two, it isn't starting from scratch because it might be the, you know, it might just be the continuation of this story. Um, it
0: might be beyond to beyond Salem chapter two, part two.
1: Right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well,
1: what's so funny too, is because the, in some spreadsheet we had to call the, the hallmark, uh, the Christmas special BS two. So now this thing, even though it's really chapter two is, on some, you know, sheet is called BS three. And I'm like, but for all of us, this is like Beyond Salem too, because that the the Christmas special was not really Beyond Salem. It was like a standalone thing. Mm-hmm. But but somewhere for purposes of accounting or something, it's known as BS two on some paperwork somewhere. Um anyway but we are i would be thrilled to do another one it's really fun i mean look you have to pause everything get your head out of the regular show and just come up with this other thing and and what is fun is you know it's going to have an ending so you don't you know the, the regular job is how can we attenuate this how can we make this not get tied up how do we not put these two together how do we keep this going. Whereas this thing, you're like, Oh, you get to some, have a payoff. You get to end it, you know, and it's good and bad because it's hard to do in five episodes to tell a fully complete kind of story, you know, that, that comes to sort of a satisfying end.
0: Well, that was literally going to be my next question because I do imagine that in doing this kind of limited series, the beginning, middle, and end of it all uh, gives you a certain freedom that writing the main show doesn't. But I'm curious, um, I know if it also poses challenges or like, what are the the pros and cons for you as a writer of of each format?
1: At first it seems great. Like when we came up with the first thing, we're like, okay, there's five gemstones in this peacock, they're scattered over here and then they're going to chase and find them. And then it comes together at the end and you're like, okay, we're done. (laughs) Then when you go to tell it, you're like, okay, this is complicated. (laughs) Which one is where, how does it get here? How does it build to a conclusion? it's harder than it seems when you pitch it, you think, Oh, I've got the whole story down. Like, even when I pitched the story to Christian, I kind of had the whole, I pitched her the whole story. It sounded like it was done. But then when you go to tell it once, we we did episode one and it was so easy in a way, because it had a framework with Paris going from city and kidnapping this one, then kidnapping that one, like that kind of flowed really easily, you know, set up John and Paul, have some fun with the pride thing, have a Johnson family reunion, um hope and sierra has it out with hope and meanwhile harris is moving along kidnapping people and we knew it was going to end on you know you think he's there to kidnap hope but he really kisses her and he's her love interest that was sort of the twist so when we finished laying out episode one i'm like okay got this and then we got to two and it was like okay now you know (laughs) (laughs) You know, you don't automatically know we're going to the body connection and we're doing this and we're doing that. And then we, but then it kind of slowly evolves. We saved Kristen to the, to the Thomas reveal was part of episode two, introducing Wendy was part of episode two. You know, you start to just focus in and decide what this episode is really going to be about. You know, we knew the gala was coming, you know, not until like, I think that starts in four Um, Mm -hmm. the, we knew we wanted to get Marlena, even though Marlena was at Sammy's wedding, you know, we wanted to get Marlena there. So she, and, you know, shows up by, by episode four. Um, the only little glitch in the air week is that Steve and Kayla are back. You know, we'd are, that was written way before this, Steve and Kayla are helping Sean bring the baby home on Friday when, you know, they're still in Hong Kong. um, (laughs) luckily they didn't see Bo. So they weren't like, Oh, John! by the way, we saw your daddy's, like, um, um, but I think the audience gets it, to some extent, they know we wrote this after the fact we lucked out in a lot of ways. John wasn't in that whole week. When, once we went to write it, Steven Kayla weren't on till Friday. Um, Gabby wasn't on that week, you know, because we, because that wedding was going on with Sammy, it did preoccupy a lot of the air week. So it did free up some of our characters. Luckily, Steve and Kayla were not really generally in two places at once. John was already had been written, you know, as being somewhere else. Ben and Sierra had just left the show. So that was fine. Um, So it was fun. It was really fun. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, so for anyone who hasn't yet watched, because maybe they're waiting to just binge all five at once. um, They can now do that. I would imagine, after today.
1: Yeah, spoiler alert before you listen to this podcast.
0: Okay, well, in addition to Beyond Salem, there's a lot going on on The Mothership, too. So first, let's talk about the recent cast departures. We've seen Lucas Adams, Marcy Miller, Sal Stowers, Lamone Archie, Victoria Conifal, and Robert Scott Wilson all exit over the past month or so. So what's going on?
1: They all just quit. No. Um, <laughs> what is happening? So a lot of that became, which was a function of people's, um, contracts. And, and I don't know if everybody remembers, but when we got our renew, when we were waiting on our renewal the last time, you know, everybody's contract kind of went out the window and then we got renewed and everybody got a new deal and we started over. So a lot of actors contracts come up at the same time because they all got new contracts at the same time. So a lot of people's deals are up at the same time, which usually is not always the case, you know? So unfortunately that just kind of played out that way that, you know, um, Marcy didn't want to resign and, and Lamone was doing a lot of stuff outside of, of daytime and want, you know, was recurring and, and then sell expressed interest in, 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 not signing a new deal. And so, um you know in victoria similarly you know um and so it was a matter of wow we kind of have to write a lot of these people out sort of at the same time it is going to be perceived as like oh are people jumping ship or what is happening or is you know and so we tried to write them as sort of make them differentiate them as much as possible. You know, we gave Ben and Sierra the happily ever after we didn't give Chad and Abigail the same <laughs> happily ever after. Um, you know, yes, I know people are upset that we killed Abigail, but like I've discussed, there was like only certain options that you had, you know, and we decided story-wise that was our decision. And I own that. We decided we were going to kill Abigail and it was, you know, let Billy play Chad's grief of losing his wife, and we wanted to play a murder mystery of who killed Abigail. So, you know, we did not want to recast. We recast successfully once. You don't always know that that's going to work. I think audiences are accepting of recasts, but it doesn't always work. You're not always gonna, you know, lightning doesn't always strike. You know, we were lucky enough to have two wonderful Abigails, but in this case, we decided, and they were also at a point they were they were happy. They were talking about having a baby. They, there was no pressing story. There was no pressing reason to need a new Abigail right this minute. So we decided that she would die and sort of crafted the story around that. So then with Victoria leaving, we didn't want to do the same. I didn't want to kill Sierra. She'd already been there, done that. So, and you know, the audience had been so loyal to that couple that we just wanted to give them the happily ever after, except that would have meant, you know, exiting Rob, which, you know, he was not one of the people that wanted to leave. So we had to kind of figure out what to do with Robert, um, and yet still give Ben and Sierra the happily ever after. In in the case of Ben and Sierra, you know where you know Victoria didn't want to be on contract, Rob did. We decided to make Rob a new character because you know, then there wasn't the baggage of, of, you know, why is Ben not still pining for Sierra or, you know, people aren't probably not going to accept Ben with somebody new. So we created a new guy for him, which we're kind of excited about. He has, you know, uh, a new personality and new relationships and all of that stuff. So, with Sal and Lamone, you know, like again, them being recurring, they'd already been off contract. It was sort of, you know, hard to write around them, you know, that's why Lamone, that's why, you know, Eli got shot in the head and was in a coma because Lamone wasn't available, you know? Mm -hmm. So it becomes very hard to write story like that. So, but we were telling this story with her dad and all of that and, and decided to just kind of incorporate it into the ending. I mean, I know some people wanted them to go off and have their happily ever after as well. I found it heroic for Lonnie to stand up, not let her mother take the blame, own up for what she did. Um, Which as much as uh, TR was a horrible person, you don't get to just walk in and shoot, an unarmed person and murder them, especially if you're a police officer. So, you know, and we knew that we were probably exiting her when we did it. So that, cause that was a big decision to have her actually kill someone. I think Stephanie, you actually even texted me, you know, she just straight up murdered somebody. <laughs> I did. Like, yes, I know. And we're not trying to worm our way out of that. She's going, we're treating it as such. Um, and you know so to me it was a very cathartic inspirational moment for her to stand up and confess and say what she did and say no one's going to take the blame for me i did it and it was wrong you know and and for me it wasn't the unhappiest ending of course no one's thrilled for her to go to prison but we they cut a deal you know she's only got two years she could be out earlier with good behavior he moves to be close by we know she's going to be able to see the kids and for me, again, what I the reason it's not a bummer for me is because I didn't think of it as the end of their story. If the show was going off the air, then, of course, I, sending her off to prison would be terrible. But for me, that's just the next chapter of their story. Lonnie's going to pay for her crime. She's going to get out. And someday we're going to see the next chapter of Lonnie and Eli. Um so those were a lot of decisions. I mean, yes, for the audience, it seems like a lot of exits. We've got plenty of people with plenty of stories still on the canvas. It was not like, what are we going to do now? You know, it really just made room for all this other stuff that's going on on the show. You know, I don't think you're going to feel necessarily this big a hole on the show. There's like the story is abundant and moving along. And, and especially in the Abigail case, because her her death is the story who killed Abigail, which, you know, continues to, um, move ahead.
0: One of the big stories that you were telling did come to an end since we last talked to you. And that is the possession story, which came to an end with a very exciting climax and the ripple effects, uh, were felt by Bo in beyond Salem chapter two. So as you look back on, uh, on that storyline, like what are your thoughts or your favorite moments of it?
1: Um, I think everybody knows it was a big undertake, a big thing to take on. Cause it's such an iconic part of days of our lives. You people who don't even watch days of our lives say, is that the one where Marlena was possessed by the devil? You know? So, you know, you're, you're, you're taken on a lot when you do that story. Um, it was, it was of course fun and exciting to write. And, um, we also crafted it as the, de- you know, they, the network wanted to know, well, why now, why is the devil back? What, for me, it's just like, well, because now's the time we're doing it and the devil's back. So, um, but <laughs> they want a reason. So, um, I was like, no one said yes no before. <laughs> no. So, um, but we decided the devil would be after Ben and Sierra's baby and it would give Ben and Sierra story. And, um, you know, we, we decided that they were going to have a baby as the next logical step of their relationship. But like this added an element of danger and someone's after the baby and plotting against them, than just the two of them, you know, going to doctor's appointments. So we, we crafted around that, but I didn't realize for that to have a payoff that that's a nine month story. (laughs) Right. So that's when we sort of decided, okay, if we do it, I want to divide it into kind of like chapters because I don't know if Marlena possessed is going to sustain for nine months. So, but we, and we had talked about, look, it's a new chapter. It's a new story. Should someone else be possessed? Should it be Sammy? Should it be Claire? Should it be like some other generation of, of Marlena's family. Um, but we really settled on, it's gotta be Marlena. Like you gotta start the story. Even if it evolves somewhere else, the audience to me wants it to be Marlena, you know? Um, so we decided that, you know, the first chapter would be Marlena possessed. And then it was a question of, well, does the devil just knock on the door? You know? (laughs) And I got this image of Bill Hayes of Doug being possessed. And like, like that the way in was through this old man, like seemingly like innocent, sweet old man in the devil's hiding inside him. And so I just had this image of, of the devil revealing himself to Marlena through Doug. And then we decided to have a little fun and try to, have some misdirection that it looks like he has dementia or, or Alzheimer's possibly. And, you know, the audience would be like, I can't believe you're doing that to Doug. And I'm like, yeah, well, we're not. Um, so, but the whole idea kind of made perfect sense that Doug is acting strange. It looks like dementia, take him to see Marlena. And the rest is history when she, you know, <laughs> when, when his eyes certainly glow. I mean, my favorite, when he says, I'm not, Doug." she's like, it's so chilling, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he says, oh, you know, Marlena, I know it's been over 25 years, but did you really think I wasn't coming back for you? Like, <laughs> so we had that all planned out. And then Albert said, you know, I always thought the glowing eyes was like a special effects that they did after the fact. And he's like, no, they have to put contacts in their eyes. And I was like, you know, I have to have, make sure Bill Hayes is comfortable sticking these glowing contact. No, they're not glowing colored contacts. And his like, of course, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like building Blink, Bill and Susan were like totally game. Um, and I thought he did like a fantastic job. It was great. So again, that was the first chapter and we plotted it that it would end on Christmas miracle with an exorcism. And we really thought about, we would have bring Eric back for that. Um, and I always thought that chapter that then the surprise would be the devil's not really gone and it would come back on new year's Eve. Um, And we picked Johnny for that. And that was like a really fun moment because we kind of thought it was over. And then suddenly the devil had jumped into Johnny at Christmas. And now, and, and then obviously because of the twin connection, we knew ultimately we wanted Allie to be possessed. And we sort of knew that that would be the ending that Sierra would be in labor. Allie would be possessed coming after the baby so that's like, you're not only trying to save Sierra, they're trying to save Allie. It's a family story. It comes around to being about Marlena, you know, kind of comes all full circle. So, I mean, I'm very proud of like, the, Like, and we don't normally have time to plot out nine months. And, and they actually, which I never get, they gave us a week off of writing to come up with that. And we came up with like really the whole thing in that week. And, and we stuck pretty close to it um, for the most part.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it definitely was a fun water cooler moment part de for the show. Um, for I sure. really
1: liked Halloween too, when she raised people up from the dead. Right. And, um, and we got to see... Um, Nick and, um,
0: Deimos uh, and Charlie. I mean, right, those are so Charlie. much fun, yeah. Well, that's the thing with your writing too. I feel that you do kind of lay in the surprises all over the place. Um, another recent one I will ask about is naming the baby Sean Christian. So, <laughs> Tell us who came up with the idea of naming well it's Evan and Jan's baby. Yeah. But.
1: I honestly I hate like taking credit for things because then someone will be like, that was actually so-and-so's idea. I'm pretty sure it was my idea. The, um, I mean, she's so obsessed with Sean that we figured she would name the baby Sean. And then we were like, okay, but maybe not Sean Douglas. And then I think some, we, we jokingly, I said, Sean Christian. And then I'm like, well, now it has to be, the, <laughs> <laughs> the baby has to be called Sean Christian. And we just had a lot of laughs, like in the writer's room. I call it a room. It's a virtual room. Um, we Wait, did you see
0: Sean at the Emmys? Or Ari, yeah. like do yeah, but you know what? To?
1: It didn't come up. I did okay. see talk to them, but I, it, I wish I thought of it because we did name the baby Sean Christian after him.
0: <laughs> That's so fun, delightful So you found really inventive ways uh, to use Heather Lindell's Jan. You know, what about that character appeals to you as a writer?
1: Oh, I mean, Jan, because she's just like, she's, she's crazy. She's fun. She's like over the top, you know, and she's just so earnest in what she believes. Like for her, it's like matter of fact that she like loves Sean. And and when we had her meet the devil, when she was like, I'm a big fan. <laughs> 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 It was like for Jan, it was like meeting a celebrity, you know. Um, And there is like weirdly, I mean, yes, she's dangerous and she's a lunatic, but there's something kind of fun and sort of like oddly innocent about Jan in a weird way. Um, She's very earnest in like what she believes. Um, so like, I'd always heard about this character, and, and it's like, for some reason she's always only known as there's certain characters that are only known by their first and last name. Like <laughs> Jan Spears. like it's always Jan Spears. And it also is a funny name to me. And she just, it's just, you know, she's like a Heather Weber. Like she's just fun to write. So in this thing, we came up with that little concept because it was Sean and bells. We just were thinking what are things the devil can do to mess with people's romantically since the devil did that so successfully the last time and we thought about sean and bell because it was their anniversary and then we thought okay how is jan gonna get sean in bed what could we possibly do because he's not gonna fall for this you know and we're like okay what if she changes herself into bell you know so um and at the time we did talk about jan being pregnant from this but we decided not to show them having sex, and in fact, sort of say that it seemed like Bell had interrupted before, so that we could sort of save that as a surprise. But I always was waiting for Jan to be calling from prison to be like, "I have a surprise for you, Bell, you know <laughs> and like standing up behind the chair with the big pregnant stomach and we did have a couple different versions of that story. It was going to be a thing where Jan it was the devil made this happen. It wasn't a real pregnancy. It was going to be like, we had one concept where Jan went into labor and nothing came out, <laughs> 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 but that it was the devil's trickery that made it seem like she was pregnant. Um, and maybe Jan would like take somebody else's baby and all this stuff. but, but, because the devil story had ended already and we knew Jan's pregnancy was going to last longer. It seemed that the we wanted the devil story to be like over and done with. So to tie her birth of her baby back to the devil seemed like we were opening the door for the, we were telling the audience that the devil story was still going on when it was over. So then we're like, well, now what do we do with, is she going to lose the baby? You know, what is she going to do? And then we said, well, who's to say it's really Sean's, which was, and then we came up with this, well, who's in jail? And we came up with Evan, you know, um, and that was fun sort of showing the flashbacks where Jan seduces him in the infirmary or whatever, because she's trying to get herself knocked up. Um, Jan's gone. And, but Evan still is plotting to get that baby away from Sean. And right now, Sean and Bell don't know that it's not Sean's.
0: Okay. So back to Abigail for a moment. Um, okay. So two part question. First of all, did it concern you to kill off a legacy character? The show had less success doing it with Will before you got there. And the second part is, do you have a new love interest in mind for Chad or is it too premature to even be discussing?
1: Yeah. I mean, look, obviously legacy or not killing any character is a major decision you know and especially if it's someone that you care about you know if it's someone you don't care about it's not a big deal but but it's not like this is the first time this has ever been done on a soap opera i mean <laughs> it's <laughs> trivia look at shows for 57 years sometimes it's a mistake sometimes it's not but killing off major characters is, is a bread and butter of soap operas you know this happens all the time so the fact that this is some sacrilegious thing is like a little ridiculous to me. Um, so, yes, I know it's it hurts more when it's someone you care about or you watch them grow up or whatever that may be. But that also is part of, you know, that does happen in life. And that is part of what we're trying to portray is like real emotion and plain. The grief of a family of losing a loved one. These are high stakes, emotional things. This is part of the reason you watch a soap opera. Yes, you may be upset if you're a fan of Abigail, but that was, she wasn't going to be on the show anyway. And that was the decision that we made. Um, you know, some of my favorite stories were, you know, who killed so-and-so on soaps. Oftentimes it's a terrible, awful villain because that's why you have a million suspects when it's somebody horrible that dies. Um, you know, like who killed Will Cortland, you know, um, um, but I think partially, because it's Abigail, it's someone you are invested in. you want to see this killer brought to justice. You want to see what happens to Chad. Um, and as far as Chad's future, you know, um, we take it very slow because we try and paint a realistic picture of a guy that lost his wife, you know, and he's trying to take care of these two little kids. and he's not ready for romance. That said, eventually people do move on and find someone. So we take baby steps, but yes, there, I would like to believe there's love out there for chat.
0: Um, Well, all right. We saw the wedding that wasn't of Sammy and Lucas uh, play out this week. Um, Allison Sweeney had told staff that she never thought she would be in another Sammy wedding and you hadn't gotten the script one yet. They're usually pretty high stakes as we all know. And this one certainly was. So Another two part question for you, you know, tell us about using Lucas and Sammy so prominently in story and bringing uh, the beat of her kidnapping to a close. And then also we got to know for the Lumi fans in your mind, is this the end for Lucas and Sammy or do those fans still have some hope to hang on to?
1: So look, um, I have been lucky enough to write for Sammy multiple times, considering that the actress had left the show before I got two days and it has been, that was a big challenge. Cause Sammy's like such an important iconic character and you want to write a story that's like worthy of her. And I was just nervous to bring her back to have her be like, this is what I'm doing. You know, <laughs> um, <and I'm> like <laughs> I've been lucky enough with Allison that she has like, liked, I don't want to speak for her, but like, liked the stories that we've written for her. She's always been game to try to make it work, to have a return. Um, you know, we tried to have them be high stakes. I think the first time I brought her back, she's like, you know, wielding a shovel with John and Paul when they were trying to dig up Will's body or something, you know, you want to give her like a a nice entrance when she comes back. Um, and you want to give her some kind of a juicy story. Um, So in this last go around, we, I think I'm trying to remember, I think we lost her a little earlier than we originally thought. I think we thought we were going to have Sammy a little bit longer when, when we started writing Sammy back on the show, when she first came back. And so we decided, you know, Albert said, well, actually now it's this date instead of this date. And then we realized like, Oh my God, it's almost like upon us that someone would kidnap her that the sort of quickest way out of this to not play off. Cause like she has discovered bell and EJ and the way we played it, that she is, I mean, yes, she could have just said, I'm furious. I'm leaving town. Screw you all. But we decided that that wasn't really Sammy that Sammy is like, EJ, I'm going to fight for you and I'm going to make you forgive me. And I'm not going to give up. And then bam, somebody kidnaps her. Right. <laughs> and she's gone. And so then it was a matter of, okay, who did it? Who took her? And it was so funny. I think we turned in the outline with the person grabbing her and the re everyone that reads it, the producers and the network were like, who took Sammy? And I'm like, I don't
0: know.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We had to get her out. So somebody did it. so then it was like going around the mulberry bush with old villains and people that Sammy has clashed with in the past. And we're going around the mulberry bush. And then I'm like, what about Lucas? <laughs> and I was like, what about someone shocking? What about someone that we know? What about someone we care about? And then it's kind of like, sometimes you throw that out there like, Oh, it can't be him. And then you're like, well, let's talk about it more. And then it was like, the guy was, is desperate. He's losing Sammy. He was in love with Sammy. We know he's in love with Sammy. Sammy wants to go back to EJ. She, he knows Sammy. She's going to, he, he, she's going to wear EJ down. She's going to get back together. And in his mind, he needs to get her away from the situation before EJ and Sammy can be like re cemented. We did play, you know, we fell back a little bit on his alcoholism because kind of helps if someone's going to do something pretty dastardly or horrible, makes a little more sense if he's had like a slip and he's in a sort of panic mode. So we had him do it. And we really, you know, we knew this was a big thing that he does and he, in his mind thinks it's just going to be for a little while until she gets EJ out of her system. And, um, so we did it. And then again, we couldn't, we knew we couldn't really play it off because we didn't have Allison. So we sort of sent Lucas and Sammy off. So we sent her off with her kidnapper <laughs> and put a little pin in it, knowing that like, and send EJ to jail for it, knowing that somewhere down the line, the next time we could have Allison, that we had to play this off. And we were thinking like, you know, this is going to be huge because she's been gallivanting around the world with the guy that kidnapped her. And so we just really had to wait till we could get Sammy back and have Allison. And so and we that's why we we're building EJ and Bell, because we knew we wanted it to dovetail with Sammy coming back.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, it was
1: definitely. Oh, so as to part two, I mean, obviously, Sammy's a little upset with Lucas right now. Um, But for anybody who's ever watched a soap, these characters can treat each other horribly and make up and get back together and forgive each other. Um, You know, how many times did Alan try to murder Monica when I was watching the show and then, you know, they were blissfully in love, you know, again. So, of course, at some point, if if that was the story, of course, Sammy could get past it and be with, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. of course, that option is always out there and a possibility.
0: Uh, Well, you mentioned that we will see Stephanie in Salem, but you did um, introduce a whole bunch of other characters in Beyond Salem, uh, including a new Joey, uh, Andrew, Wendy, Harris. Um, Are these characters that we might see on the mothership at some point? Yeah, it
1: seems like, look, creating those people was fun because you didn't have to worry about what they were doing in Salem. You know, you were free to like play around with them and not be like, well, she Wendy can't be here because she's locked up in a prison cell somewhere, you know, so it, she's fresh. But once you introduce her and she's, you know, Shin's sister and you have, and Shin is a regular ongoing story and we're getting him closer and closer with Gabby, you know, of course it would make some sense to have Wendy come to Salem for a visit. Like she seems to be a no brainer in a lot of ways. Um, you know, um, all any of them are kind of ripe to show up now, you know, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, we'd already made the decision to introduce Stephanie, um, a while ago, um, which is fun because Steve and Kayla, you know, they, they have this family that has, that aren't around, you know, and then trip left. And so, we thought it was nice, especially with someone like Abigail leaving to have a legacy character like Stephanie come back and, mm-hmm. and sort of fill out Stephen Kayla's story.
0: Uh, yeah. Agreed. I know that the fans are really happy, uh, you know, to see their children back in the mix. It's, it's important.
1: Yeah. And you know, Stephen and Mary Beth love it too. You know, like they love, they love family stuff. You can see how warm they are as people in real life and with each other and they're, thrilled to have kids around. And when I was out visiting, when they were shooting Beyond Salem and they were, you know, going on and on to me about Abigail and how much she reminded them of Shelly and how they just thought she's, you know, they embraced her as Stephanie, like in two seconds and hopefully the audience will too.
0: So Ron, before we let you go, we are halfway through summer 2022. Can you tease for us what the rest of the season in Salem is going to look like? Wow.
1: Well, there is, there's a lot coming. There is, like I said, the one of the main driving stories is who killed Abigail and it's going to have a lot of like ripple effects. Um, the, um, you know, we're starting a lot of new stuff. There is... <laughs> another major character i have already spoiled that is going to die <laughs> which is pretty soon and that is going to have a big uh effect on Salem and on a lot of the characters um There is, despite the grief and death, there is a lot of love and romance brewing. We have this story with Eric and Nicole. Nicole has gone and married Rafe because she's a little panicked about her feelings for Eric. And, you know... Thought at the time. He wasn't going to be an option, but of course now Eric's out of the priesthood. So that's a story that's going to really ramp up very soon. Um, you know, Nicole trying to be the dutiful commissioner's wife while Eric is kind of a free agent floating around. Um, we still have the, you know, still playing off of the devil story is who is Chanel going to pick between Johnny and Allie. It's been kind of fun to get with the devil gone. We can play the reality of just the love triangle of this girl being in love with, you know, non same sex twins, (laughs) which has been a really cool thing to be able to play the sort of bisexual love triangle. And, you know, I love both couples, actually, Johnny and Chanel and Allie and Chanel. So that was a tough one. That was like a Sophie's choice to decide. That was a Chanel's choice. That was a tough one. Um, But she does make a decision. And then we see the, you know, the rejected twins spin off a different way. Um, You know, we do have a couple new people coming in that are going to like. Like, kick off some new story. So there really is a lot going on, despite, you know, despite some people having gone, you know, we're pretty we're pretty crammed to the gills with story right now, which is kind of always the case on our show, I think
0: well, it all sounds amazing. We will be tuning in. And we thank you as always, for your time. And again, congratulations on all of your successes and your more recent successes as well. And thank you so much. I appreciate everything you told us today all right we'll talk to you soon awesome bye okay bye ron thank you so much for joining us thank you to ron carlovati for being our guest if you like this podcast please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts be sure to pick up a new issue now and come back again for another podcast